Good evening and welcome to the Lotus Flower Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Pamela Robinson. And I bring you greetings on behalf of my husband, Curtis L. Robinson Sr. We here at the Lotus Flower Podcast aim to educate, empower, and equip our listening audience with culturally relevant, spiritually uplifting educational topics. The common name for the lotus flower is the water lily. It has the characteristics of opening in the morning and closing during the night. The lotus flower grows in muddy, murky waters to rise above those treacherous situations and bloom into a beautiful pink and white flower. It signifies the strength that lies in the lives of most of our guests that come on to share with us. Our guests are full of determination, resiliency, and drive. And for that, we're grateful. We are grateful that we've had over 50 guests on the podcast since its inception. And we've had favorable reviews from our listeners regarding our podcast guest. This evening, we have a guest with us and he's coming to us for the second time. He was one of the first guests that we invited on the podcast when we first started last year. His name is Wayne L. Bond II. Mr. Vaughn has been an employee at Western Michigan University since 2011. He joined the WMU Career and Student Employment Services Department in 2007 as a career development specialist. He brings experience working with people all over the world. His role is to establish students at Western Michigan University as they prepare to graduate from the university. In his role, he works with a variety of cultures, making decisions at, a, at an administrative level. He prepares the students for their aspirations as they matriculate into the world. Wayne graduated with a BS degree in biology from Albion College, where he was a member of Sigma Nu fraternity and the collegiate basketball team. Wayne completed his master's degree in 2015 from WMU within the political science department with a focus on international administration development. He currently has returned to school as an as a cohort member in the WMU Sociology Master's Program. He is not, when he's not working or studying, Wayne can be found relaxing with a book or catching up on his favorite shows. When the moment calls for it, Wayne can also be found hiking with his German Shepherd or traveling. While graduating from high school, from Portage Central High School, Wayne grew up in a military family and he was exposed to a wide range of languages and cultures. Wayne 
has always been a fan of literature and has finally found a way to put that passion to use. In early 2020, when the pandemic hit, he did everything he could to find out how to help his community. In his pursuit to help his community, he did everything from seeking to join the National Guard, to volunteering at food drives, to even giving back in nursing homes, until in February of that year, when a childhood friend of his asked him if he would read to her classroom. It was a virtual reading while the children were in school in Arkansas. Apparently, while reading to the class, the children were their most behaved that they had ever been all day. So the teacher was very impressed by this. And upon the completion of reading the story, the children asked Mr. Bond if he had a YouTube channel. And he said, if I had a YouTube channel, would you watch it? And the children said with a resounding answer, yes, we'll watch your channel. And the rest is history. Now, Mr. Bond has also started his very own YouTube channel entitled Wayne Reads. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to his YouTube channel. Once again, Wayne Reads. Now, I would invite you all to pull up a seat and join me and Wayne as we discuss intergenerational dialogues, which are forms that bring together older adults and younger adults as they try to bring together some type of shared knowledge under a collective experience. Now, at the end of this podcast, Wayne has agreed to read a short story by Virginia Hamilton, an African-American children's author. Welcome, Wayne, to the Lotus Flower Podcast once again as our featured guest. Hello. Thank you for having me. Can you hear You're me? Well yes. You're very welcome. Awesome, awesome. I'm so excited to have you back again. Now, I'd like for you to tell us a little bit when we talk about generational dialogue. I'm going to have us just chime right in and you tell me what do we mean by generational dialogue? Well, I think it really comes down to the common ways of engaging between the generations and how especially now, but it's really since my generation, the millennials kind of hit the scene, that there's been this like bumping of heads, if you will. We all are aware of the millennial jokes, millennials don't do this, millennials do that. And now lately there's the okay boomers and all that kind of thing. So there, the engagement has met multiple times of friction in a way that it, uh, generations may be starting to develop ideas about each other that may be warranted or not, but just necessarily don't have the best ways of discussing. Mm -hmm. And when when they they may be warranted or they may not be warranted, and that they have that generational gap in there where sometimes they find it different to discuss those uh, issues at hand. Why do you think that that is uh, that is prevalent at this time? 
Well, we, we all weave. I it's a general statement, but in many cases, a lot of, especially within the United States, there has been a more, a more falling into this notch of not wanting to be wrong about certain understandings, dialects, and it's not necessarily that people are wrong, but when mm-hmm. they're when they're conflicting, especially intergenerationally, there is the perceived notion of a right and a wrong. So there are a lot, there is just a lot of friction that comes within this current era where I wouldn't say one side or the other is right or wrong, but there is a dynamic where they can't really even engage on an equal playing field or equal footing. And when when that happens, then it definitely leads to uh, abstract conflicts between the two generations. And when when we see that happening, then we have what what I'd like to call generational issues. And intergenerational issues are conflicts that either um, have um, a conflictual situation going on that is abstract, as you stated, between those two generations, or it also can involve an inclusiveness of prejudiceness against another generation. And so hence we coined the phrase generational gap. Now I know with myself being in a uh, middle-aged woman, I, I find myself in the in that generational gap because I, I have children that are millennials. And then I also work with the populations that are Gen Z and then I work with populations that are older adults and younger adults. So I'm right there in the middle. Now, where would you describe yourself in our generation? Personally or professionally? I guess that's a, a good way of initiating that question. Because mm-hmm. personally, <clears throat> personally, I do see myself as um, an outlier from my generation. I try not to fall into like camps or these things or that things. If I were to give myself a label, it would be a nerd, really. Like there's not a jock, not a political junkie, not this, not that. So um, I consider myself personally, um, I've always kind of been a wallflower and I've always kind of been like the, the new kid who was doing their own thing. So I've really just, understood that is just a part of life that I'm comfortable with and that's just where I am personally professionally when mm-hmm. discussing intergenerational engagement as a career advisor I'm very a very interesting um, crossroads of working in a university where there are going to be alumni who are changing jobs or forced back into the workforce who are the same age as my parents, who do need to be um, updated, if you will, in a way of being able to approach the job force because it's a, it's a completely different approach to what they were used to, even down to what's included in resumes and how cover letters are structured. So there's that. <clears throat> Sorry, as a millennial, I see myself as someone who is slowly wading into this um, this environment of having your own social brand and your own personal brand kind of thing never really was too comfortable with it but over the last few years 
not only do I have the YouTube channel, uh, the Wayne Reads YouTube channel, but I do anime content with my friends. So mm -hmm. I do a lot of different things of my own personal gratitude um, and satisfaction in like a more real fun format. And if it turns into something else, great. But I do see myself as finally wading in to this social media um, influence driven content creation um, generation that I'm a part of, but I've always seen myself as like a boomer millennial because I don't necessarily um, want to be a part of like all the new things that I'll, it, that's just how I approach that understanding. Mm -hmm. And when you, so, so at this point, you, do you see yourself as a millennial? Is that correct? I am. I'm specifically right in the middle of that age group. So I yeah. understand the older side, which are early 40s, that are really starting to step in leadership positions and top tier companies, as well as like who have built a lot of the new, a lot of new tech and a lot of new things, as well as seeing the ingenuity and craftsmanship and just creativity that's coming from these early mid 20 year olds who I think the cutoff now for millennials is like 26 is my youngest mm -hmm. 26 27 is like the youngest and then it really is just it's the Gen Z world mm -hmm. so when you're working with with um because I would imagine that you work with Gen Z and millennials in your uh, professional role so Primary, how do you yeah. How do you adapt to working with both groups? Well, the biggest thing to adapt to now is getting individuals to understand that a lot of what people are looking for, in many cases, they've already done in different capacities. There are many instances where there's a lot of pressure put on this internship or this, uh, this grade level or this happenstance. But in many cases, you could talk to a student and they've had all the experiences that employers are looking for in just in different capacities in a different job or in a volunteer opportunity with their local church with their families friends to schools what have you so and to be completely honest with the student organizations there are so many students young people right now that are doing logistical work by just getting transportation to esports tournaments that is a huge thing to have experience in creating flyers to raise money for different things is advertising promotions that you that has a much higher level of impact on the education because they're actually like doing it then x amount of just practice in a classroom kind of thing so in many cases this young generation with the social media impact are getting experiences that will that will compound into those four or five years of experience that employees are looking for before they're even out of college mm -hmm. oh my so and that being able and is being able to like get walk it's really just walking them to that understanding especially because we have a mindset of all this traditional this is how it is this is how it always is now you have all these different ways of getting experience I've talked to students who are literally running a business through their Instagram accounts for a fashion line 
And they're like, should I tell employers this? It's just like, are you serious? You're running your own business in the field. Like, yes. Oh, my. So it's just instances like that. And do you find that there is a learning curve there at all? Meaning that from, yes. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? What that might it look really like? It really depends on um, the preconceived notions that the student comes in with. I think that is the best way of putting it in the most fair way. There are um, students who will come in that they get, they go to a career fair and they talk to one person and they think that's everything that they needed to do for the job. And I'm like, you better talk to all 30 and then follow up with an email telling them why you're specifically good for this position. And that's, and it's one of those things of the learning curve is really salient on one students who may come from a background where they the either the school or family may not have had the resources or just individuals in around them who may have been encouraging towards that and that comes from every walk of life mm -hmm. and and then do you actually um mentor them in terms of showing them literally how to go get around that learning curve or do you just meet with them that one time and give them some information and you all have a discussion or is it like an ongoing type of uh, it, situation it depends on the that depends on the individual a lot of the cases it's a student who's looking for resources to really point them in the right direction or really solidify where they may want to go in in some cases a follow-up hey wayne can you look at this email for connecting with these people or um for following up after this career fair or for this lead that i may have gotten in some cases um very few cases i've had actual mentees or students who have just worked with me over um just over their time at western um that is enough that is more of a personal like official you are a mentee like we will meet per, uh, separately and i think it's happened through this program twice mm -hmm. i've had seven at western one was a student who wanted to interview me mm -hmm. and then she was just like i really would like to like just talk more and i'm like well i would you i understand your work ethic i know of you because she's interviewed for jobs, um, mm -hmm. couldn't didn't take the job, and I was, it was one of those students like, man, we would have been really good with them. So um, that happenstance at a later point in life, like I'm literally her biggest cheer. I'm one of her biggest cheerleaders, and okay. when she reached out to me about moving to Colorado, I was one of the biggest factors of, you can always come home, but it was mm -hmm. going to be harder for you to go. Um, she is one of two. I have one that went out to Colorado and the other went to Texas. When mm -hmm. he went to Texas, I'm so proud of because that was my first grad, first mentee to graduate. Um, mm -hmm. She's doing amazing down there. One did not believe that she was going to graduate um, college, period. And she got mm -hmm. into the best social work program in the country. Didn't end up going because of COVID. She went to a, a local school for her, but and that works out better for her personally. But um, mm -hmm. it, it it has been quite amazing to at least 
be elevated into a realm where I'm able to have the impact on my my generation and this upcoming generation, as well as being able to work interchangeably. I don't know if someone necessarily um, older than me would like to say, oh, I'm his minty. I, I don't know, actually. That could be a whole ageist thing that yes. that could be a discussion for later. How does yes. the minty dynamic work? Is do you have to be older or do you just have to have experience, more experience? Yeah, that that could be that could possibly be, but I I know from I I know just from personal experience that I've I've worked with people that have been old older than me, and I've been in the leadership role, and they you know have been receptive, and also men men you know I've worked with with men, and I've been you know in the leadership role, and they actually they weren't my mentor mentees, but they were people that were under my leadership, and it worked out. It worked out okay. People have to be open-minded, I find, though. You know, open-minded. Um, but I did want to share with our listening audience what it means to, when we say Gen Z and when we say millennials, what that means. So there are people that, if you don't know, that the term Gen Z uh, means people that were born approximately in uh, 1996. The oldest wow. members of, of this generation, they're now entering their 20s. Um, the Gen Z is the fastest emerging generation of employees, consumers, and trendsetters. And millennials, we hear that term just kicked around all the time. And um, so millennials are anyone that was born between 1981 and approximately 1996 ages 23 to about 38 approximately in there. So just about 35% of millennials, the way that they communicate, they communicate through emails and texting. That's their preferred method of communication. And then with Gen Z, they communicate through chat, texting, social media, apps and comments and all of that. So that's the difference there between that gen z and millennials and so i want to talk a little bit about what it what's meant by uh canceled culture we hear that a lot don't we wayne uh canceled culture and uh some people may think well what does that mean so um i'm going to tell us what the definition is and then i'm going to use definition found a little bit on it. So I had to look this up myself because I, I kicked the term around and really didn't know the total definition. So cancel culture or called out culture is a modern form of ostracism in which someone is thrust out of a social or political circle, whether it be online, on social media, or in person. So that's what canceled culture means now have you had um any experience with that or have you i've certainly probably you've heard the term kicked around canceled culture if you have can you tell us a little bit about that and how it fits into our intergenerational dialogue well i've never actually been canceled and that's the interesting part of the cancel culture um apparatus, if you will, just because as a millennial, I've been protesting, which is interesting um, in my job position, but I wasn't canceled because of it. There were 
all of these virtual threats, people saying that they were going to do these things and that things, but there was never, I was never actually canceled. And that was, and while I'm not necessarily a sympathizer for their side, I do want to give credence to their plight in the situation. It was, it was over the Vietnamese flag and the, the descendants of Vietnamese refugees who were, did not like that at, um, being at an international event and as a person who ran it i had to bear the brunt and instead of my vietnamese students who were literally from a generation of like we had nothing to do with that we're sorry so in that regards i have had experiences of much greater magnitude uh for people with actual grievances so when i actually do see someone say oh you're going to be canceled or you're canceled i'm just my entire ment mental capacity at this point is well one you can't cancel anyone who doesn't care and i really don't right um and uh, two i have i've been i've had a much more nuanced difficult conversation with someone when i was in this i was probably maybe 26 27 Yes, and I was 29 when I took this job. So 26, 27 when I went through all that. So it's it was a very salient thing to experience then. So now looking at cancel culture and people saying, oh, you can't say that or you're this or that. One, on this hand, I don't, truly don't care. And two, on the other hand, I've been in situations where I know that there's much there's much greater things out there to be worried about than someone's hurt feelings. Yes. And to every to people who do get hurt, there's nothing wrong with your feelings being hurt. It's just mm -hmm. one of those things to where with you I found out a long time ago that if I lived my life in accordance to how everyone else was hurt and restrain myself from doing the thing that i truly love doing i would be miserable and while i love everyone i love myself more. Mm -hmm. and I think that's, that's good that's excellent that's a really good place to come to of self-awareness and all also there's a such thing as the me too movement the me too movement is a social movement against sexual abuse and sexual harassment where people that are um in public positions they bring about these allegations of sex crimes now the phrase me too was initially used in the context on social media in 2006 and on myspace by a survivor by the name of tarana burke now the me too purpose was to actually empower people that were sexually assaulted through giving them empathy and solidarity you know because they were joining in numbers these vulnerable women and now men as well so this me too movement has since exploded especially when harvey weinstein we do him in october 2017 he kind of got involved with that movement because there was a, a an allegation against him and when that happened the movement just spread like fire and so now you have this Me Too movement out there, even with, um, you know, our beloved Bill Cosby, you know, kind of got caught up in, in that. 
And so when we look at the Me Too movement and we look at those intergenerational issues, I know in my day and age, we didn't have the Me Too movement. I know those things were yet going on, but now it has evolved to this Me Too movement where it's almost as if anything now becomes sexual harassment. Men and women, especially men, they can't even look at a a woman sideways without being said, okay, you sexually harassed me. So tell me a little bit about, you know, your knowledge with that Me Too movement and how it, in your generation now, the Gen Zs and the millennials, you know, how that's affecting the way you all actually can freely relate to one another without being accused of something you really may not even be doing. I think it has forced both genders and both people in uh, romantic relationships to truly hold themselves to account when they are involved in interacting with people. As someone who is a young male in uh, fraternity, there were a lot of instances where it's just like, yo guys, this is just not cool. Um, Other fraternities doing things. And understanding the dynamic of someone in my situation to where now, as someone who's 34 and single, I now have to understand, one, as someone with my resources, I do need to understand that even if I do want to ask a young lady out, I have to understand that, one, she should not be a student at Western Michigan University. One, I automatically have authority over her. Like, those are things that, within the wake of the Me Too movement, there was a lot of honest um growth and in many cases yes there was a lot of overreach but the actual things that came about it at least for me um causes me to at least be a lot happier and healthier dating now i am much more comfortable literally on a date hey do you is it all right if i give you a kiss tonight these are things that a younger me probably would have gone in on or a younger me probably would have still invited someone on a date even though i may have had a resource that they wanted and it's just like even though you're not holding it over their head that is still a power dynamic that i would never want to be in i see so in my opinion yes there there were a lot of things about like dating in the workplace i believe it's very uncomfortable anyway it's a very uncomfortable process if anyone made it work happy for you but i learned when i was 16 never look for honey where you make your bread like that's something i've been saying well over well over can you you say that again that quote i like that never never look look for honey where you make your bread i like that quote now i you know what i'm gonna have to put that in one of my sermons (laughs) never look for honey where you make your bread now that means it's it's just a bad idea because when it goes bad and more times than not for me at least it has it's just like it's just a bad working environment and you just don't want it's just not worth it and if it is worth it there does need to be at least a discussion about if there is a power dynamic what happens if there is a split like you do you do need to be adult about it so i do think it has 
at least in my purview for especially myself to be a lot more mature about dating and a lot more forthcoming and not as necessarily as um cavalier about let's just drink kind of thing i no, like, like let's have an honest conversation i'm in my 30s now like I, conversations are nice exactly exactly now let's move on down to talking about independent thinkers independent thinkers are people that have confidence in the ability to draw on their own innate intelligence and depend on their own judgment they have their own views their own values they kind of are self-directed and self-guided rather than waiting for someone else to validate how they're thinking and what they're doing they move and march at the beat of their own drum now tell us a little bit about what it means to be an independent thinker and and let us know is are are you an independent thinker do you consider yourself that or or not and if so why to be an independent thinker you do need to be okay with balancing your framework and your point of view and if in the knowledge when you are in a wrong if there is a right or wrong if there is a right or wrong in a given scenario um but also just generally if a certain purview is ill placed mm-hmm. for an example i i wouldn't say i have always been an independent thinker now i am i would probably say 17 18 definitely 18 when i said you know screw it and literally just start growing my hair out because i didn't care what people thought about me um Mm -hmm. it was really when i actually really made that pivot but i would say very very early on there are lots of cases where um there were thoughts and stances that i may have had that now i cringe on um I know full well why it sh- uh, any woman should be scared walking at one o'clock in the morning. But when I was 25, 26, I was pig-headed enough to try and make the argument, well, I'm a black male and I, I feel scared walking at night around the cops kind of thing. And I'm like, it's not even a one-to-one conversation. It's not even a one-to-one argument. So being able to at least look back in those situations, one, acknowledge if it's about you or not and then take yourself mm-hmm. out of the situation and to be able to have an honest dialect and the biggest thing that i could um tailor that to especially what i'm going through right now and i'm going to be vulnerable i am having a tough time with everything obviously the world is having a tough time with what's happening in ukraine but me personally because i was born and grew up in Germany mm-hmm. so my father could keep Russia out of the West. Um, and that is why I'm still so um, strong in my defense of you know, our armed service members. So like right now, it is a very uh, confusing time because of like there is kind of like a what was what was my 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 childhood was gone for this what was it for kind of thing rush is still encroaching um so just in a very personal moment like that is it's a really it's a thing you really i have to i'm really hassling with right now because personally 
I, uh, a part of me is just like, let's, let's go in there. Let's do this. And, um, I have, I've this today I have thought, I have literally had to sit myself down and it's like, wait, there's literally nothing you can do outside of upending your life completely. Um, and it's been a hard day, so at least for that. I see. Uh, so, sorry. Um, but personally, oh, I, I appreciate you being vulnerable in that area because there are people out there that I feel that are feeling the same way. They just don't know how to express it or they may not be comfortable with sharing that. So you may have given them permission now to feel their feelings and release that. So thank, thank you for sharing that. Let's move on down to what it means to um when people say that um black people are a monolith sometimes we think that black people do the same thing they all eat fried chicken they all eat watermelon they all eat pinto beans and cornbread neck bones they eat the pig from the rooter to the tutor that they all love to listen to that jazz, not jazz, but rap music, and they sag, and they're, you know, hypersexual. The men are basketball players. The women love to get their nails done and all of that. So we just want to lump, sometimes lump them all together and call them a monolith. Now, what does it mean to be a monolith? Once again, it means that the people are all doing the same thing. Black is not a monolith. So, so let's let's look at this together, uh, Wayne, and and let's kind of have a brief discussion on why black isn't considered a monolith, but why sometimes through our when we talk about these intergenerational issues, sometimes back when I was coming up. It was, we were doing things the same. We were all wearing afros. We had our bell bottoms. We had our white collars and we were black, black, black and black pride. And everyone was kind of going that same way. But now, you know, as we got into the, I, I believe like nine, probably 80s and definitely 90s, 2000s, you know, we've had all types of, you know, spinoffs of who we are as people. So can you address a little bit of that under the um, umbrella of the intergenerational um, dialogue that we're having this evening? Honestly, I do think it's it's more of just more Black people are able to finally express themselves, is to be completely honest. Um, the Black conservative is a new quote-unquote thing people are saying, but I have been in situations where I'm speaking with myself, a colleague, and a student employee. All of us are black, and um, we were just having. I literally just asked the question: Does it feel like only white people can be conservative? And they're like, "Yeah, no one else can really be uh, have conservative values." And that's kind of where the monolith I do feel comes from. Mm -hmm. In many ways, it is this rigid creation of just this is this class of people and unfortunately for them but fortunately for us there has been this uh, ability to now you know 
start intergenerational wealth without it being destroyed and taken away. And mm -hmm. it's funny that most people who are making all of these arguments about terrorism and things being done now, literally a hundred years ago, would be looking around. It's like, oh, this is what black people are going through. Okay, like, like, all right, cool. Like, I can back off of a lot of these things. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of real world things that have happened that a lot of people either don't vibe with completely or mm -hmm. don't really try and uh, accept. So that's why it's all just compacted in. And that's yeah. where a lot of the, and I get very frustrated at this as not necessarily always being an independent thinker, but always being someone who's always just done my own thing is yes. just the whole, like, you're so white kind conversation like, i see that is both saying, saying you're so white saying people yes. saying you're so white yes okay yes. because of how i talk and the things i'm interested in and i'm just like one you're you're either telling me that because of how you view the world you don't believe that black people can be this smart yes or two you believe that because of how the world has depicted the black monolith that anyone outside of that general purview of black people are now considered white. And it's frustrating. Yes. Because it's literally a cultural thing. If it was only just white people saying it to black people or other minorities saying it to black people, it would be one thing. But I've been in situations to where um, I worked at FedEx over holiday break and I was in there with a young woman. First thing out of her mouth after talking to me was, is your mama white? It's just like, oh my! It's literally because of how I talk. Oh my! And then of course she tries flirting, and I'm like, that you, you, we are off on you now. Right. All of this stuff, and it's just one of those things to where I get it enough when someone who's my friends don't say it anymore because I have literally told them, hey, I get that you're joking and you're haha. But you're literally telling me that you don't think that black people can be educated. They're like, no, I don't think that. I'm like, but I'm telling you, this is what you're saying to me. And then they haven't said it since. But still being in situations where it is frustrating. Like, my name is Wayne. Um, it's it's not that I don't consider it a true microaggression just because Wayne and Dwayne, but I don't yeah. stutter and it's very simple. So there is a very big they're noticing the differences and uh, engaging people there. Um, so again, the monolith just is, it is both institutional and it, mm -hmm. but it is more, but more frustratingly than that, it's cultural mm -hmm. and it's, it's a universal cultural. And it's, that's where there are some things that we're, you know what, over time we'll get there, but it's so, it's such an entrenched like leveling. I'm just like, I don't know. I really don't. Hopefully, when everyone is like a shade of brown, we don't have to have those discussions. But that'll be. A but until then, I'm I am very happy that you are comfortable in your skin and being who you are. That's what I value about you, Wayne. I, that you are, you know, an example of what it means to be an African-American male that I feel that I've have, you've, are doing very well. 
in your career and in your education and in your personal life and in, in your professional life and set an, ex an example of how you can go forth and be who you are outside of what anyone else thinks. And so that is what I wanted to show our audience tonight through you coming on the podcast again, showing them another side of what it means to be an African-American male in society that's doing well and marching to the beat of your own drum. And yet, and still you're giving back to the community. You're helping, you're serving, you're selfless. That's what it's all about. And so I hope that some male and females, but especially males will watch this, if not tonight, but in the future and actually be encouraged by what you're sharing. Now I want to move on over to having you um, read to us once again, Wayne has a YouTube channel that's entitled Wayne Reads. And he, on his channel, reads uh, stories of two children on a weekly basis. And it's a very interactive and fun-filled channel. And he's going to read to us a book tonight by a renowned African-American children's author by the name of Virginia Hamilton. And I'd like to say that it's a good timing because we're here in Black History Month, coming down to the end of it in about four days. And so it's right on time that you'll share this um, novel, this short story with us. So you can go ahead and tell us the title and so read that. What, I, uh, what I'm gonna do is I'm going to go to the title. I'm gonna take my headphones off just because as you mentioned, I'm very expressionable when I read. So I'm going to scoot okay. back a little bit, okay? So okay. for those, um, I did I forgot the cover again. I'll send it to you just so you have it for a later point. But Virginia Hamilton okay. made this amazing um, novella and created her story, which is really African-American folktales and fairy tales. And for a young Black male who was born in Germany, chose to be an American citizen, being able to have fairy tales of black and brown people um, who really can look at me and what I'm doing is a true testament to their suffrage really just makes it a lot more meaningful. So what I'm going to read for everyone is Mom Bet and the Little Ones A-Glowing. So I'm going to take my headphones off real quick and I'll be right back. Okay. Mom Bet and the Little Ones a glowing. Mom Bet and her son Joni lived in a house at the edge of the fields where the wood began. The garden was shaded by a high old tree. Mom Bet often said that the tree had taken a leap out of the woods right into her heart. Joni said Mom Bet loved that tree more than him. She laughed and teased, I love you both the same. Every day, every day before they cleaned, Mom Bet was there to see the first light all over the tree. On Friday, seated on her back porch, she waited for the day to gather on the leaves. Friday was the day when Mom Bet and all the other folks going down the lane kept out of the fields. Folks said, Friday work, bad luck too. Stay at home though, and something good may happen, Mom Bet told Jody. Every Friday, Jody would say, I'm waiting for something good. Jody was a kindly young fellow, for true. Just before dawn, 
This Friday, Mom Beth sat, a cup of tea next to her on the top back step. Her garden of holy locks, zenas, snapdragons, and tomatoes, and pole beans and cabbages were in the shadow. Then the dimless floor came in, first in the corners, then shining on the flowers. Dawnlight gleamed over the trees, yet it was different somehow. It was twinkly like starlight. Net, it was light bursting, like Mom Bet had never seen. Made her catch her breath and sit like a statue. The whole tree lit up like a Christmas tree. Streaking light breathed itself in a gentle sigh. It poured from the top of the sky to the stream down the tree trunk, spreading along every branch. Floating, with, floating down with it came these perfect little ones. There were glowing little girl ones and little boy-shaped ones, just the happiest, little delicate ones. They rode the light streams down and sprang on the braid of glass. They lounged in the zenas. Two boy thems lifted dewdrops and tossed them to each other. All thems danced on the leaves. They fluttered and swayed, glowing like fireflies. Not one of them taller than two inches. Little hers and hens tiptoed on the cobwebs, Mom Bed told Jody later. Tiny sister and brother ones made cobweb swings on the branches. Oh, wow, what a show they gave. Next Friday came, oh, sorry. Oh, can I see the little ones? I'll get up with you next Friday morning, Jody promised. And he did, too. Next Friday came, and Mom Bed and Jody sat as a little stumps for they. The light gathered, streamed the blue heaven. And one perfect floating fairy herd came down out of the tree onto a light glow. She, fill, she flitted before them long enough to smile, to swing in cobwebs in an instant, and as the sun rose, she tiptoed up the tree from one leaf to the next, up into the heavenly light. She vanished as if she never was. Was she? Ever? A good luck gift of Friday? Hushed. Sitting close there, Mom, Bet, and Jody talked about it a long time. That's all. Thank you. That was amazing. That story was amazing. I love the way that you are that that you are so animated with the story. It really brings it to life. I love that, and and also the dialect that's in the story. It's really yeah. good to hear. And I would imagine when you're reading to children from different cultures that may never have heard that type of dialect, that probably opens up a whole new world to them, maybe with some questions, I would yeah. imagine. Yes. Yeah, exactly. and, and I love the way that the, our, our listening audience and, and our audience that's actual that's watching, they can't see this but when i watch your channel you have a little star that goes right up above your head tell us a little bit about that little star that you have it kind of goes up there and you look and you point to it <laughs> well so i have always i always believe that every story is an adventure so with each adventure i have a special guest starting the channel off it was the characters from the books that got a little time consuming so I just I was able to get a few other guests that now join me. I have North Star, 
which is from the ones that you saw, and then I have Madam Owl. Love reading. And later on this summer, I will be introducing a third special guest to the rotation. You'll have oh, lots to see. That's wonderful. I am an avid reader. I have a book club myself entitled The Lotus Flower Book Club on Facebook. And I just love reading. And people that, that are readers, sometimes they're classified as, as nerds because I've been reading all of my life. It's a way to escape. So I appreciate you spending time reading to children and actually stirring that gift up inside of them. You know, you're actually building a community of people that are going to grow up one day and they're going to love literature just because of what you shared with them, Wayne. So thank you so much. Are there any last minute things that you'd like to share with our listening audience before we end uh, the podcast? Other than National Reading Month is coming up. So start looking for some amazing books to jump into. National Meeting Month, is that for the month of March? It is, yep. And will you be reading a series, a special series during that month for National Reading Month, or will you just read as you so are? We'll be continuing. Um, as far as the channel goes, I actually just found what I'm calling my rhythm. So originally, I was just posting general show uh, book series, and it would just go straight through. But now I'm diversifying. Um, I have a long series, a mid-series, and then a one-off series. So you'll get a mid-series video, and then you'll get a small one-series video, and then you'll get the long series. Long series right now is Harry Potter. I'm finishing up the mid-series with, I think it is the Watchdog and the Coyotes. And then I'll be jumping into the Mouse and His Motorcycle, and that'll be the mid-series. And then, yeah, the short series are really just um the small videos right now i think february and october will really just be the theme months just because um it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot of editing but it's <laughs> worth it it's worth it we just crossed 61 um subscribers which is really really cool um it's great hopefully you're gonna hit 100 before years out uh, sorry, true. before the first full year, which would be July, and we're on That's track true. to do that. So that would be. Well, and who knows? I would like to. I would like for this to start um, generating in the next two years, which That's it seems true. to be on track to do, which would be really cool. That's good. Well, we'll continue to post your links in our uh, podcast and on our other social media platforms to help you to reach that goal, Wayne. Now, tell our listeners before we end, how can they connect with you and that YouTube channel, Wayne Reads, once again? So, yeah, just going into YouTube and Wayne Reads, W-A-Y-N-E-R-E-A-D-S. I'll also send you a link so you can have it in the description for the YouTube video. But, yeah, just Wayne Reads. It'll be the, the guy with the cat on his shoulder looking open, opening a book of adventures. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us this evening, Mr. Wayne L. Bond II. Yes, thank you so much for being our special guest. And just know that a seat of welcome always awaits you here at the Lotus Flower Podcast. Thank you so thank you much. Have a good thank evening. You.
Bye-bye. Mr. Wayne Reed. We are so grateful to have had him be a guest for the second time on the Lotus Flower Podcast. As we shared intergenerational dialogues, what a discussion, what a discussion in telling about how the older generation and the younger generation sometimes have friction between one another when attempting to communicate with one another. We were able to talk about a variety of points, one being the canceled generation, what are millennials, what are Gen Z generational people. We talked about what are generational issues. We talked a little bit about what it means to be in a canceled culture. We also talked about how African-Americans aren't a monolith. We've talked a little bit about the Me Too movement as well. And then we ended the podcast with a short story that Mr. Wayne read by a renowned African-American author by the name of Virginia Hamilton. I want you to be sure to go on to YouTube and look up Wayne Reads his YouTube channel, and I want you to like, comment, and subscribe to his channel. He has a goal of reaching 100 subscribers by his first year, and that will be in July of this year, 100 subscribers. He's at the halfway point now, and I know that we can join together and help him to reach that goal of 100 subscribers for the Wayne Reads YouTube channel. Yes. Thank you again for joining us this evening. And now we will have a word from our friends.
The Rock Dimensional Consulting LLC firm's mission is to build businesses on a solid foundation and equip leaders. RDC helps business leaders solve complex business problems, improve efficiency, empower teams, and implement long-term sustainable improvements. The hours of operation are 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. You may contact Dr. Davenport King via phone at 940-227-1615. The website is at www.lifeafterag.org and email them at rockdimensionalconsulting at gmail.com. Dr. Keetra Davenport King's business prides herself on the following motto, building businesses on a solid fast. Then you've got to check out Jasmine's Fun Fashions. Jasmine's Fun Fashions is a locally owned mother-daughter consignment boutique located in the beautiful town of Morganton, North Carolina. They have over 14 years of consignment, fashion apparel purchase, and retail experience and pride themselves in providing excellent customer service as well as establishing long-lasting friendships with consigners and customers. Reach out and shop with them online via their website jazzybiz24.7 at gmail.com. However, if you're ever in the Morganton, North Carolina area, be sure to stop in the store, which is located at 304 Burkemount Avenue in Morganton, North Carolina, 28655. You may also call the store to inquire about merchandise at 828 828- 544-5187. Their hours of operation are Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. They serve their customers with the motto of Excellent Customer Service, located at 1614 West Main Street in Kalamazoo, Michigan. They offer outstanding customer service and believe deeply in giving back to their community. Mo El Katabi is the owner. Customers can shop in the store or online. Curbside pickup is also available. They also have a full-service salon in of the business called Stephanie Renee Salon. Be sure to check them out as well. You may reach the store for your online purchases via their website at www.calibeauty.com. Their hours of operation are Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. and Sunday, 